One of the things that uh, we didn't mention during announcements was next Sunday is Easter, and we are going to have an Easter egg hunt, and um, we are going to invite all the big kids, all the adults, uh, out to the uh, patio area for our time of fellowship. Uh, We're going to set it up nice and appropriately, but uh, we wanted to uh, celebrate the resurrection, right? And again, um, you know, forewarn you, for 11 years, you've heard me speak about the absolute importance of the historical event of the resurrection, um, because if it didn't happen, go home. Why are you here? If it didn't happen, that, that's what I love about Christianity. It's not pie in the sky. It's not just good intentions. It's not, you know, uh, because it's a really good thing to do, right? It'll make you a good moral person. No, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul's pretty clear. If the resurrection didn't happen, you're still in your sin. So just, just saying something to ponder, and it actually ties into the message. Uh, the resurrection, yeah, you got to settle that issue. You got to settle the issue because the Bible doesn't allow for wiggle room. The Bible doesn't allow for it kind of happened, might have happened, I hope it happened. No, the Bible says either it did or it didn't. And you coming here on a Sunday is pretty dependent on that. It, uh, it, it just is. And so um, that's why, to me, I love Easter. You know, it's challenging. You know, you know my story. I uh, went to UCLA. I was going to be a lawyer, went to law school. So when it came, you know, when I was studying, uh, people were sharing faith, the Christian faith with me, and I got to this resurrection thing, I had to study this. Because once I realized this is not pie-in-the-sky mythology, it's a good thing, it's just, you know, yeah, once, once it became crystal clear that, It did or it didn't because the Bible says it did in the historical timeline of earth. That was a zinger. That's a zinger moment for anyone who's just honest. You know, sometimes people think, oh, Christians, you just bury your head in the ground and it's just pie in the sky, kumbaya. You guys don't think. You check your brains at the door every Sunday. Well, you know, the resurrection doesn't allow that. At least not at this church. I mean, the only reason I'm here is because I settled the issue. And if I had settled the issue the other way, I would probably be watching soccer right now. I wouldn't be here. Why would I be here if the resurrection didn't happen? There's plenty of other self-help opportunities out there, spiritual opportunities. But if you believe in the historical Christian faith, it goes all the way back to the resurrection because we believe in the only person on this planet who ever rose from the dead. That's what separates us. There's a lot of good religion, spirituality opportunities that can help you be a better moral person and, you know, find the peace that you're looking for. But there's only one risen Savior. There is only one. And so that's why I really, I like Easter and that's why I don't feel like I have, you know, I just dust off the notes from last Easter and I bring it right back to you because every, it's a, it's a great check and it's a great celebration because the re- and because since the resurrection did happen, where are we going to be? Heaven. Heaven. <laughs> you know, it, 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 in uh, Romans, I believe it says he was raised for our justification, right? That, and this is completely off script, so whatever. But it, when it says he was raised for our justification, you know, how many have ever heard Jesus paid the penalty? You ever hear that, right? Do you ever wonder like, well, how do you know that was enough? 
Did you ever wonder, like, uh, was, that, did he, was it paid enough? Was it enough? Well, when the Bible says he was raised for our justification, what it means is because God raised him from the dead, his penalty was sufficient. The resurrection means we are justified. We are declared not guilty, fully righteous. Okay? There are implications for us as you sit here this morning. Not just heaven in the future, but you're sitting here justified, completely righteous because of the resurrection. I'm, I know the penalty was paid. I know Father said, boom, boom, paid in full, good to go, because he, rose, he raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? So as you, maybe as you move forward in Passion Week, ponder, reflect on the historical. You hear, me, you, you hear me say this every Easter. The historical event in the timeline of Earth's history. The resurrection has to be there, according to biblical Orthodox Christianity. Inescapable. Inescapable. Okay? So, maybe something just to, you know, put out there. So, we are going to have a hunt, which has nothing to do with the resurrection, but it's fun. So, I think, right? Just because we like to watch kids run around and hunt socially distant eggs. So, anyway, um, what's it now? What, the schools are three feet? Yeah, so schools now are three feet, so the eggs can went from six feet to three feet. So, who knows by next Sunday? Who knows, right? So, uh, it's Palm Sunday, and if you know historically, we're not necessarily doing a Palm Sunday message, but it does apply to the armor of God. Because on Palm Sunday, if you know the biblical story, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they're all celebrating, right? This first song we sang, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, and for many of them, they interpreted Jesus' uh, entrance into Jerusalem as our conquering military political leader has arrived to set us free from the tyranny of Rome. That's what many of them in Jerusalem believed and were celebrating. So when they were saying, Hosanna, which means salvation or save me or deliverance, they thought on that Palm Sunday that, it was a political, military ruler entering Jerusalem. Five, six days later, everything's in turmoil. And many of those who were cheering him on were now maybe yelling, crucify him. And what were they battling with? What was this big turmoil? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with unmet expectations. A lot of it had to do with what? He came to do what? Not set us free. And, and there was a lot of turmoil, not just collectively, but individuals. They're wrestling with what? What? And, and I thought of that in the context of this series on the armor of God, because uh, many times in your life and my life, uh, we go through battles. We're going through battles, and the battles, really, if we were honest and looked at it, it went to the belief level. See, a lot of the the, the turmoil and passion from Palm Sunday to Good Friday was people's beliefs about what Jesus was about to do or what they wanted him, what they believed he should do. And a lot of the turmoil in my life and your life really comes down to what we believe. Now, you're going to see as we move through this why it's so challenging, I think, for many of us, even as Christians, to examine our beliefs and, and be willing to go there. Um, but we're going to get through that. So we're going through uh, Ephesians 6, 
uh, the armor of God. And I'll just read uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 15 to kind of get us up to speed. Uh, and uh, then we're going to launch into it. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, so the whole armor of God. Question I've been asking, right? Last our weeks. Did you put it on this morning? Did you actually stop and say, Father, by faith and obedience, because this is a command, I'm putting on the armor. I'm putting on the armor of God that you have given me so that I can stand against the schemes of the devil who wants to destroy my life. Constantly scheming. So this morning here at home, did you? And if you don't and you didn't and you just kind of went into the day, that's a belief, isn't it? If you put it on, you believed you needed to. If you didn't, at the core, you don't believe you need it. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, if you believed you needed it, you would have put it on. Do you see right away? Belief. This is what I'm talking about, is a lot of us get caught up into the day, into our thoughts, into our emotions, and just behaviors, and we don't stop to think long enough to examine our beliefs. Putting on the whole armor of God begins with whether or not you believe you need it. Whether or not you believe you need it, right? Warren Wiersbe says this, The danger on the battlefield is that we do not take the enemy seriously and therefore fail to put on all of the armor. We just don't believe. But it's weird because 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, another belief issue. Do you believe that there is a devil and his minions and they're looking for someone, you, to devour? a belief issue. 100% a belief issue. This is what we're talking about. Because in this passage, it talks about the schemes of the devil. And one of the schemes of the devil, going all the way back to the garden, and we're going to see it in a little bit, is to get you not to believe. Just to get you not to believe. Like I said, he's not going to come big monster, scary, red pitchfork, you know, and scare you to Jesus. No. He's much more, much more slick than that. He's just going to come in and subtly get you not to believe. Subtly. And when it says in devour, right, looking for someone to devour, typically we think it's like all these horrible trials and tribulations. No, we're talking about spiritual devouring. So, yeah, it might be trials and tribulations, but you you know what it might be to spiritually devour you? Comfort, materialism, good health, good job, 401k, live in Ojai, come to a comfortable church. Maybe you're being spiritually devoured because you're comfortable. 
not because you're in the heat of an upside-down world. That's how slick he is. That's how slick he is. And in either case, he's going to challenge your belief. If your world is upside down right now, and you're, you're like this, maybe your belief is shaken at the doubt level. You're doubting God's promises. Maybe life is really good right now, and you don't believe you nearly need God, because you're comfy. Same, it's the same, see the scheme? Same, same strategy, gets you at the belief level, but he'll contextualize it for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, because he knows, the devil is slick, he knows what will get you at the belief level. When I said, remember when we talked a few, years, a few weeks ago, the word scheming means individual, contextualized to you and your life situation. So for some here and some at home, again, you'll come at your belief level in trials and tribulations because of your past experiences maybe, or he's going to come at you with comfort and good times. He's still going to attack your belief, Right? So we looked at the different pieces, right? The belt of truth. Ultimately, we saw that Jesus is the truth. The belt of truth holds it all together. We saw this word gird, right? Everyone say gird, right? Are you girded this morning? You're like, girded? Did you say girdle? Does he mean girdle? No, I don't mean girdle. Girded. Girded means prepared. Prepare your mind. Gird your minds. Are you prepared? Did you wake up and say, Father, I want to be prepared today. Before I even get out of bed. I want to spend a few moments, and I, I ask you to gird my mind. I want to be girded. I want to be prepared, right? So that's the belt of truth. Then we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, positional and practical righteousness, right? If you're a believer, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen. So positionally, good to go. Heaven bound. And then practical righteousness is you purpose. How do you put this on? Every morning you say, Father, today I want to live a righteous life. I want to live a life that glorifies you practically. In very practical ways, faith and obedience, right? That's practical righteousness, right? Wayne Barber says, when we live righteously, conducting ourselves in conformity to the truth of who God is, what he has said and what he has done, our righteous life becomes a breastplate which protects our heart as we stand in the spiritual war we live in each day. I love this because sometimes we look at spiritual warfare as like, oh, I'm just the victim. Oh, devil, please leave me alone. Oh, oh, oh. No, you want, do you want to be on the offensive? You want to be aggressive? Every day you say, I'm going to live for Jesus. That choice to be proactively righteous is a shield. You know why? Because I'm so busy wanting to honor him and glorify him and love others. I don't have time to dwell on me. I'm so busy about kingdom work. That I don't give place to the devil to get in my head. You see the focus? Most of our, a lot of our issues is because we let the devil get in our head. Our hearts and minds. So if you purpose in your heart to live righteously, you're proactive. You're engaging. You're engaging. Okay? And then we looked at the shoes. The gospel of peace, which is peace with God by faith, which leads to the peace of God. Alexander McLaren, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of Christ, right? And, and I shared with you your level of peace this past seven days, okay? How was your level of peace, the peace of God? How'd you do with that, right? Because I shared with you two weeks ago that peace is actually in your hands. 
Why? Because peace is directly related to what you choose to focus on. If you focus on the promises, greater peace. You focus on the problems, less peace. So my peace daily, your peace daily, moment by moment, is really in your You choose. Where are you focusing? God, his character, his promises, or the problems and the turmoil in your life? It's your choice. It's your choice, right? Now, there was a verse two weeks ago that helps us transition into the next piece of armor. It's Romans 15, 13. He says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So your joy, my peace is directly related to what? Believing. Faith. Right? Which leads us to the next piece of armor in Ephesians six sixteen. It says this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, little historical context here about the shield. Uh, it's called the scutum. And uh, the, the word is actually comes from the word for door. Okay, so uh, historically it's about four foot tall, two and a half to three foot wide, uh, made of wood. And they would, they would glue it and compress it, kind of like our, our version of plywood. And then they would heat it. And if, in pictures there, it's kind of curved, right? So about 10, 10 pounds usually had an iron frame around it. Uh, that little knob, that nub you see in the, the center there, that's called a shield boss. And that would deflect, if someone's going to try to hit their shield with the sword, it would deflect it off to the side. Okay, and, and behind the shield boss is where they would have the grip. This would protect the hand. So that's called a shield boss, okay? Again, it's about 10 pounds. And what's interesting is, you know, it was just, that's just the way they were made. It wasn't made for each soldier. They would just produce them all the same, okay? Now, because it's curved, right off the bat, the curved shape, when arrows are coming at it, they just deflect off. Right? If it was flat, they would more, more chance of them sticking in, but it's curved, so they just hit it and do that. Very strategic, right? And we're going to see uh, other ways how it was strategic in dealing with these arrows. Uh, and, and it was interesting because they would compress the wood, heat it, curve it, and then they would cover it. And when, when you saw the coloring there, that was like usually leather. Leather or some type of canvas would be covering it, and then they would paint it, like you said, and usually it was painted and the way it was painted helped identify the different units out on the field. So they could tell who's who um, by the coloration on the shields, right? Really interesting. Now, in, in war, uh, you know, maybe you've seen war movies where they would, they would shoot these flaming arrows. Well, the arrows would be, um, the tips would be covered with pitch or tar, lit on fire. And, and when they shot, the, 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 the point was not only would it come, um, but when it hit, it would splatter, and cause even greater damage and confusion. And, and the goal was, wasn't just to, to kill somebody. It was to injure. But it was also designed to, to create panic and confusion. Right? And, and just imagine, imagine, right? There's a, there's a picture that's going to come up. Imagine all of this coming at you. Right? Just for a moment, imagine all of that. And, and what's interesting, in Ephesians 6.16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay? So that's coming at you. 
Now, if the, if, the, if the flaming arrow, if you put your shield up and some another, it lodges in there, and it's on fire, pretty soon your shield's going to become useless if it catches on fire, right? And you got a useless shield, gets all burnt up, you got no more shield, you're just exposed to more flaming arrows coming at you, right? And so if you look at that verse again, I put up that verse, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, there's a, when you usually read this, you, most people will stop it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Got it. I, I put on three of them, right? I got the belt, got the breastplate, put on my shoes. Okay, I got three of them put on me. Now this one, the difference is you got to take this up. This isn't on you. You got to do something. You got to actually go take this up. But if you don't read the rest of the verse, you miss the point of taking it up. It says, with which you can what? Extinguish what? Ooh. You can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, just look at, look at that verse up there real quick. If you're at home, look at it. We have been given a shield of faith. We are to take it up. See, we have three pieces of armor. The shield of faith, when it says in all circumstances or above all in some, it, it doesn't mean first in priority. It means that's out there in front. I've got my other armor on, but the shield of faith is out there. I, I, I take it up. It's in front of me. Why? So that I can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Do you believe that? That's a heavy, that's heavy duty right there. See, Eileen put up the, the flaming arrow shooting at everybody. Hmm. It says, I can take up the shield, I'm to take up the shield of faith with which I can extinguish all the flaming darts or arrows of the evil one. Everything that comes at me in my life can be extinguished or quenched. Everything according to Ephesians 6.16. You believe that? All is all. Extinguish and quench is extinguish and quench. Eileen, put up the verse again. Because so, here's the point. We get the shield, and I, I believe many of us have our shield, and you wouldn't be, I believe many of you are here because you have a shield of faith. You come to church because it helps your faith, Right? But I think some of us have this shield of faith and we understand these arrows are coming at you. Turn on the TV, arrows. You listen to music, arrows. You go to social media, arrows. You go to work, arrows. You get arrows constantly from this world who's under the sway of the devil. You got your shield, right? And some of them are deflecting off, right? And some of them are in there and they're on fire and you're just letting them burn. You're just letting them burn. You got a whole bunch of flaming arrows in your shield of faith, but you didn't read the rest of the verse. And so I told the, the, the leadership group, many of us in the church are like flaming porcupines. You got a shield of faith and everything's on fire with the arrows. But the verse says, I can extinguish those. How many? But many of us didn't read the rest of the verse, so we got these flaming arrows, and we think, I just got to carry these flaming arrows. 
until I get to heaven. Bill, am I going to bring my flaming arrows into heaven? See, a lot of us have this shield of faith filled with flaming arrows, and we just have accepted that that's my cross to bear. It's just the way I am. It's my circumstances. It's my feelings. I guess I'm just a flaming porcupine. And then we compare. We compare. Mark, how many do you have in your shield? And for some reason, whoever has the most flaming arrows is more holy and godly. According to that verse, with which you can, supernatural enablement, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through who you are in Christ, because you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, you can supernaturally extinguish or quench all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Do you believe it? Because we'll get to the how. How do you do that? But I can't get to the how unless you really believe it. It's a belief issue. Fundamentally, you got to believe that. If you don't, you may have that woe is me victim mentality. Oh, I'm just, I go through life and, and I'm at work and it's, and then I go home. You know, and by the end of the day, you just count up how many things are on fire on your shield. You don't realize they're supposed to be quenched, extinguished. You can do something about them. You don't have to be shackled and imprisoned and in bondage to this stuff anymore. Amen? I'm just, that's the verse says. That's not my opinion. That's what the verse says. You can extinguish all. That was weird. All. <laughs> right? But you got to believe. And what does it come down to? You have to define. It's not, it's, we'll call it faith. It's the shield of faith. So the question is, what is Faith. What is faith? Because if you don't know what faith is, biblically, how are you taking up the shield of faith? Because you think you might be taking up the shield of faith, and it's really not biblical faith. Because I'll tell you what faith isn't. Biblical faith is not. Everyone say not. Biblical faith is not only assenting and agreeing to doctrine. That is not biblical faith. It's part of it, but it is not the complete picture of biblical faith. Biblical faith is not only assenting or agreeing to the historical tenets of the faith. That's an element of faith, but that is not the complete picture of biblical faith. So if you think that biblical faith is just that you agree to things, it's not biblical faith. It's not biblical faith. Okay? It's more than assent. More than agreement in your mind, okay? John MacArthur says this. Systematic theology usually recognizes three elements of faith. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Real faith, therefore, involves the whole person. Mind, emotions, and will. Saving faith, then, is the whole of my being embracing all of Christ. Faith cannot be divorced from commitment. Now, to put this in real terms, many, well, all of you, and I'm guessing you at home too, right now, you are demonstrating and actively engaging in an an example of biblical faith because you're sitting in a chair, a particular chair you're sitting in. 
you're actually sitting in the chair. You're resting your whole weight on that chair. That is biblical faith. Okay? Mark, would you mind standing up for just a sec? So let's say, Mark, I say, hey, Mark, look at that chair behind you. Do you believe that chair could hold you up? Right? And, and he says, yeah, and, and he says, yeah, I, I read the owner's manual. I know what it's, I know what it's made of. I, you know, the weight capacity is, can hold me, right? <laughs> right? But here's the thing. If Mark never sat down in the chair, would he be demonstrating biblical faith? No. He can agree all he wants, and he can speak and write a PhD thesis on why the chair will support him. But until he actually sits in the chair and rests his full weight in the chair, it is not biblical faith. So Mark, demonstrate biblical faith for us. Here we go. Let's give it up for Mark. Yes, right? So Mark, we're going we're to challenge you even more so. Lift your feet off the ground. There you go, right? Full weight on the chair. That's biblical faith. He had his mind, he agreed, he understood, right? He had the knowledge, he agreed with the knowledge, but until he put it in action, that's not biblical faith. That is so important to understand when it comes to daily living, because the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So if you're going to take up the shield of faith, what it means is moment by moment as a follower of Jesus, you are all in. You're not just agreeing, you're doing. Now that, we're going we're gonna to get into that because that's, that, that, that's going to, I believe, set some people free today if you're willing to go there. If you're willing to be honest that I may be missing an element of faith. And that's what's kept you in bondage and stuck for years. It's the doing part. It's the resting fully, which involves what? Trust and commitment. Scary. Let's add surrender in there too. Right? See, we take what you're doing right now without even realizing it. And if you're at home and you're sitting in something right now, you have absolute trust, you are committed, and you are surrendered to that chair. And why is it that you have more biblical faith in that chair than Jesus sometimes? See, I have not seen anyone here nervous or anxious about the chair failing you. Think about that just a moment. Did anyone here in the room or at home, are you, have you been nervous or worried about the, church, the, the, church, the chair failing you since you've been sitting in it? No, he's got his arm up and he's drinking. He's... So question, why don't we have the same level of belief and peace when it comes to the God of the universe, who we call Abba, Father. To provide, to protect, to meet our, 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 what we really need. Why can't you be as at peace right now as you are with the chair in your relationship with Father, with whatever you're going through? Because the flaming arrows are challenging you at your belief level with the issues you're facing. It's an issue of belief. It's an issue of belief, right? Again, John MacArthur says this, faith is an internal reality with external consequences. 
When we say that faith encompasses obedience, we are speaking of the God-given attitude of obedience, not trying to make works a part of the definition of faith. God makes the believing heart an obedient heart, that is a heart eager to obey. The state of one's heart will inevitably be revealed by its fruit. Philippians 2.12, it's God who works in you to will and to do. As a believer, God changes my heart, so I want to obey, and then he supernaturally enables me to obey. That's faith. That's faith in action. It's a new heart. It's the new covenant, the new heart that wants to. Obedience is a big want to under the new, under the new covenant, right? And so I share with you again this progression that many of you have seen before in the 10 years that we've been, 10, 11 years as a church. Here's a progression. Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. Many of us live in our thoughts, emotions, and actions, and we don't take time to understand that they all come out of beliefs. Why do you do what you do? Why do you think what you think? Why do you feel what you feel? Why am I stuck in those three categories? Because maybe you never ask yourself what you really believe. What do you really believe? Right? And I'm going I'm to give you a real world current event. You're dealing with this issue right now. Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. See, a lot of division in the church has happened with this and the vaccine and all this because people are caught up in thoughts, emotions, and actions. Really, the differences in what you want to do with this and the vaccine comes down to beliefs. Think about it. Put, put aside the thoughts, emotions, and actions. You're whether or not you believe these are helpful or not is a belief. And the whole spectrum of the vaccine, it comes down to beliefs. So if you put a mask on, it's coming out of a belief system. If you don't, it's coming out of a belief system. If you get vaccinated, it's coming out of a belief system. If you don't get vaccinated, it's just coming out of a belief system. If you're worried that God won't provide your needs, it's coming out of a belief system. You got to go to the beliefs. And you're living it every single day. And this is where the enemy has got you twisted up. And along comes our study in taking up the shield of faith. Maybe we should say the shield of belief. Maybe we'll make the shield of belief. This past Thursday in our men's group, we talked about the topic of stewardship and that God owns everything and we're just stewards of it. And Francis Chan spoke about their home being God's home and, and letting people in need come and live with them, right? Do you hear the belief behind that? If I really believe that everything I have is God's, well, I'm going to steward it that way, and I'm going to hold it like this, and if there's a need, I'm going to give it away. If people need a place to stay, come and live with me, because it's all God's. If I say that, but I really don't believe it, because I worked really hard for this, and it's my career, and it's my car, and it's my house, and it's my 401k, but I say I believe it's all God's, my actions will betray me, because I'm not going to, it's mine. 
I may say all the right Christian things, but my life will betray my beliefs. It's about beliefs which lead to your thoughts, emotions, and actions, whether it's your money, your time, your friendships, unforgiveness, anger, lust, pride. It all goes back to beliefs. All goes back to beliefs. So we have to, we have to be willing to go there because this is where the enemy is going to attack your heart and your mind at the belief level, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, fear, worry, temptation, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, covetousness, flaming arrows, all attacking what? Your beliefs, your trust, your surrender, your loyalty, your commitment to God and his word. Okay? And it's interesting because if you think about this, and we've talked about this before, you go back to the garden, right? God had given very clear directions to Adam and Eve. Along comes the devil. And what does he do? He attacks them at the belief level. Did God really say? Well, you know, he's not really that good of a God because he knows if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. What happened in the garden? An attack on their belief Belief in God's character and belief in God's word. Now they're suspicious. And then they see the fruit, so they get doubt stirred up. They they attack the belief, and then they appeal to the flesh. When Eve saw that it was good. So now they're rocked at the belief level. They see something good, which appeals to the flesh. What I want in my way, in my time. And they got you. They got you. And I was thinking about this. The same strategy in the garden happens today in 2021. Was it March 28th, right? Because whatever issue you're facing, you know, I I came up with these again, these D words. So the enemy will come flaming arrows to get you to doubt. And if you, if you start playing with the doubt, it might lead to you disregarding God's word, denying God's word, or straight up discarding God's word. And ultimately you do what you want to do. And you're like, well, how did so-and-so get way over there? They used to be in church, and they used to be serving, and, they used to, and now they're just doing anything to do with church, and they're just doing their own thing. How does that happen? Well, if we were to trace it back, I'm guessing it stemmed from an attack on their belief. And enough doubt came in that they went to ultimately disregard, deny, discard it, and now I'm going to do what I want to do. It's the same strategy that he used in the garden. and He's using on everybody here and everybody at home. He's attacking your belief system. He's attacking your belief system. I read something this week that, that really challenged me at this. He says, you know, when you come to that crossroads of giving into temptation or sinning, think about it this way. If you succumb to the temptation and the sin... In that moment, you believe Satan more than God. It's a belief issue. God's word says this, and you know it. Lust, covetousness, pride, forgiveness. You know whatever the issue is. Satan comes in and casts all kinds of doubt and says, no, you don't need to forgive. No, it's all about you. No, it's your money. No, no, no. You're like this. You know what God says? 
flaming arrows are coming this way. If you choose this, you are believing Satan more than you are believing God. That's kind of heavy. But if you will accept that and be willing to go there, it can be freeing. It can literally be freeing. Because I remember years ago, right, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Do you see now why you keep doing the same thing over and over again? Because your beliefs haven't changed. If you'll change your beliefs and choose to believe God... Thoughts, emotions, and actions will follow that belief. If you're stuck in this cycle of doing the same thing over and over and like, why do I keep doing this? It's because you still, your beliefs have not changed. And I'm going I'm to, I want you to be, I'm going to be very honest with you. You can be stuck in a false belief pattern and repeat it over and over and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did it again. Why did I do that again? I'm so dumb. Here we go. It's cost me money. It's cost me friendship. And you can be agonizing. You can agonize over why you did it again and all the bad and negative consequences. And you're like, what is going on? I'm going to tell you from, from just my own life experience, what's going on is you have a false belief. You have a belief pattern that you're stuck in. And the negative consequences, I believe, is God through the Holy Spirit. And because he loves you so much, he's trying to get you to change your beliefs. Out of his grace and mercy and compassion, he's like, come on. Look at what you really believe. What do you really believe, Richie? Do you really trust me? Or are you going back into the old patterns? And really what the old patterns are is leaning on my own understanding. Leaning on my own brains, leaning on my own self-will, my own good intentions. This worked before. I wouldn't have got where I was without me doing it my way. And yet, the consequences don't lie. And you're like, how many times do I have to go through this? And the Lord's like, look at your beliefs, Richie. Examine your beliefs. Do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? It's a issue of beliefs. And so if maybe you're here, maybe you're at home and you're like, I get it. I've been so caught up in my thoughts and my feelings and all this bad negative behavior and like bad me, bad me. And, and you're so guilty and you feel such condemnation, you don't want to come to church. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't even pray anymore. Why? Because you're in this cycle and you feel so bad about yourself and God must hate you when it's quite the opposite. All you need to do is come to God, receive his forgiveness, and be good to go. But you see how the devil gets in there? And now, since you're such a horrible, bad Christian, more arrows come. You can't show up at church. They all know. What would they think about you if they really knew? what you did this week. Where's that coming from? Right? You know, you, you want, if you're dealing with a sin issue, let me help you quench that. Let me help you quench it right now. First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You want to quench guilt and condemnation for some sinful choice you did? Confess it. Repent and say, thank you for forgiving me. Flaming arrow gone. On the authority of scripture. Amen? 
It's on the authority of Scripture. We quench the fires with the authority of Scripture. When the flaming arrows come, we do what Jesus did. We go to the Word of God. How did Jesus deal with temptation? The Word of God. It's the Word of God. John MacArthur says this, So, you know, whenever Satan comes at us in the world system and panders to our fallenness, it is to make us believe him instead of believing God. That our real satisfaction, our real happiness, our real fun, our real fulfillment is going to be found in the things he tells us to do rather than the things that God tells us to do. And when you sin, you believe Satan. And when you don't, you believe God. That's why the shield that protects you from the temptation is faith. Faith in God. Belief. It's faith. Right? We're not going to be able to finish all of this today. We'll pick up after Easter, but I do want to share, you, share this with you. Eileen, can you put up the, the, um, the picture of the shields, the three shields? So the guys, there they go. So they had these shields, but they didn't just leave them and pick them up. Oh, we're going to battle. Where's my shield? Gosh, I don't, I don't know what I did with my shield. Hey, buddy, have you seen my shield? Right now, soldiers were given shields. And what they did, because they were made of wood, if they were left unattended and uncared for, they'd become brittle. They would dry out and become brittle. So daily, they would apply oil, olive oil, some believe, to keep the wood from becoming brittle and shattering in the heat of battle. Same with the leather, right? When a flaming arrow hit a Roman shield, the olive oil coating would extinguish the arrow. Olive oil has low volatility due to its very high flash point, 550 degrees Fahrenheit, and does not easily burn. When you can get it to burn, it burns very slowly. When a flaming arrow hit a Roman shield, the olive oil prevented the wood from immediately catching on fire, giving the soldier enough time to break it off with his sword. Everyday care for the shield prepped them for the battle. And then many references... As I was researching this, many references, even in some commentaries, said that before soldiers would go to battle, they would actually soak their shields in some water to help extinguish the flaming arrows. How does that apply today? It really tells me that if I'm going to take up my shield of faith, i got to daily take care of it. I can't just not attend to my faith. And how do we do this? First, you got to believe, okay? But how? Let me give you some practical, right? Word of God. Matthew 10, 17, uh, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You want daily attention? You want, now, do you understand the connection between being in the word and the shield of faith? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? Through the word of Christ. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Proverbs 30. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You got to be in the word. Your faith is bolstered and strengthened by the word of God because like Jesus demonstrated in the example, when the flaming arrows come, you answer with the word of God because you believe it. 
That's the shield of faith is to take up really the word of God in belief, in trust, in obedience. This is what the word says in this area. I'm resting fully on it. Even though in the flesh, I don't understand. Even in the flesh, I may not like it, but it's faith. I rest in the word of God because I trust it and I trust him because God is good and all the time. So why don't we believe him? All the time. Because the flaming arrows of doubt come in. And this is where you have to catch yourself. But not just yourself. Roman soldiers weren't, the thing that made the Roman army so formidable was their discipline and the formations and that they would work together, right? So they would, they would use the shields collectively. There's a line formation. And if, there, if something's coming at them, the guys use their shields this way and this way. Go ahead, Eileen. It's a collective dependence. It's a we moment. It's a we moment. And then what the Romans were really famous for and known for in war, what was called the turtle or the tortoise formation. And this was specifically designed to protect them from arrows flaming or not. And this is what it looked like. And if, in the context of the battle, arrows can come from the sides, the guys on the sides would put their shields down. Go ahead, Eileen. You know what that is? That's my men's group on Thursday nights. You know what that is? That's the church. Because we all need each other. We all need each other. I need Mark and Bill and the elders at this church. I need their faith to help my faith. When the arrows come at me, I got to be honest with you. It is so good to have four brothers with their shields of faith up and ready as well. I leave that up there. That is the church. Now imagine one of those guys is like, nah, you guys stay in the turtle formation. I'm going to go do my thing. In the heat of battle, who would prefer to be in that? Hands, who would prefer to be in the turtle? How many would think it a wee bit silly to say, yeah, you guys do the turtle thing. I got my own thing going. But that's what we do. And why would we do that? Belief. And I'll share this verse and then we're going to wrap it up. Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In 2020 versions, it's like, hey, get with the turtle. Stop being a lone ranger, and you need the the turtle, which is called the church. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then you'll be at church. If you don't believe that, you won't be at church. It's just that simple in terms of what you really believe. If I believe I need other believers with their shields of faith around me, 
because the arrows are coming at all of us and it's, and I believe it's for my benefit and I believe it's for their benefit that we get in the turtle formation. I'm there. But if I don't really believe, I'll take it or leave it. Yeah, I'll come when it's convenient. I don't even need to come anymore. That's one of the challenges. I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of the challenges. We have worked very hard, and I know that churches around the, the country and the world have worked very hard to keep people connected. And I understand the health concerns, and, and I know more coming back um, for various reasons. I get that. But I really want you to be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ who through this last year have become disconnected from the turtle. Because somewhere along the line, the flaming arrows have come in and now they doubt that they need it because they're good. They're fine. It's a belief issue. And here's the thing about these belief issues. There's a phrase I use at home quite a bit. That door is locked from the inside. I can share what the word of God says. I can pray for you, but you got to open that door. You got to open that door. I can't do it for you. As much as I love you and as much as I wish I could, that door is locked from the inside. A few weeks ago, I was talking with somebody who, who was really struggling with salvation, the assurance of salvation. How can I know I'm saved? And this was a professing believer. And this went on. How can, how can I know I'm saved? And I just kept giving him scripture. He who has the son has life. You know the verses, bro. And I was just like, da, da, da. And then like five minutes later, hey, man, how can I know I'm saved? And like 30 minutes later, hey, how do I know I'm saved? And, and, I would, and then finally I just said this. I said this in the Nordoff parking lot. I said, bro, I can only tell you what the Bible says about how to know you're saved. You have to believe. I cannot believe for you. I can only share God's truth with you. You have to believe. Seven days later, I'm walking through here getting ready for church. He, he shows up. Hey, I know I'm saved. <laughs> I'm like, really? Come over here. How do you know you're saved? Whips his phone open, reads a verse to me. The power of the word of God coupled with his belief. It was the same verse I shared, but he just believed it. And his countenance changed, and he was so happy because he knew he was going to heaven because he was saved. Not because I said so, because he believed the word of God. And so this morning, I just want to bring it back all the way around. The shield of belief. Shield of belief. What are you doing with the flaming arrows? Do you believe? Do you believe? And I love this story. Just We don't have to go there, Eileen. In Mark 9, 24, we'll look at this in a couple weeks. There's a, a father, and the disciples are trying to free his son from this spirit, right? And they show up, and Jesus says, hey, what's going on? And hey, I tried. Your disciples can't do it. And, and, and the father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, I know... You as believers, this isn't necessary. If you're a believer, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about those errors in your life, those flaming arrows, where it's like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's okay. See, that's the thing. It's okay to ask God to help you in your faith. Amen? 
It's okay. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness, which is being trustworthy and trusting. It's a dual meaning. It's okay to ask God to help your unbelief. Lord, this is a biggie. I'm scared to death, but you say, don't worry. Father, help my unbelief. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you in this area. Help me to walk in faith and obedience, supernaturally through your spirit. In the flesh, I am freaking out. But in the Holy Spirit's power and supernatural enabling, Father, help my unbelief. That is a great place to start. Such a great place to start. Honesty, transparency. And you know what? Here's a crazy thing. When you pray and you ask Father to help you with your unbelief, you're actually believing that he can. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? You're demonstrating belief that he'll answer that prayer to help you with your unbelief. Amen? You see? That's why that prayer isn't a prayer of condemnation. It's a great prayer of faith. Father, I'm your child. I need your help in this area. How many of a parent would love your kid to ask for a help in an area? It's the same thing. Just go to him. Just go to him. Okay? And so as we prepare for communion, I just will go back to Jesus' ultimate example. Eileen, we'll look at Luke 22. And Lynn, you can come up. In the garden, Luke 22, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The ultimate example of faith and trust, submission. Jesus in the garden. And as we prepare for launching into the Holy Week. I pray that this morning we would be honest and say, Father, do I believe? Do I really believe? And maybe for some it's the believing it's salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Do you believe that? If you do, then put your faith in Jesus. Just believe. And if you're a believer, and the flaming arrows are at coming at you or they're stuck in your shield and your shield's lit up on fire, we'll believe that you can extinguish all of them in the word of God, power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father, thank you for giving us the shield of faith. Thank you for really speaking truth to my heart and to our hearts this morning that it comes down to belief. And if we believe, we can extinguish all the fiery darts, the arrows from the enemy. And so as we uh, reflect on this Palm Sunday and what this week means, we're so thankful, Jesus, that in the garden you were willing to believe and you were willing to trust and submit to your Father's will. And you said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's my prayer for my brothers and sisters here and at home. Whatever issue you're facing, go to the belief level and at your core, say to Father, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You are good all the time. Your word is truth, and I trust you. So, Father, please, in the power of the Holy Spirit, help my unbelief for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.